Hello, good evening, and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Atlas Live. Tonight, we are going to be tackling a subject and a practice, which is not only a core practice of any path, but one which, unfortunately, is very misunderstood, is, is often misrepresented, and it is by no means a simple or straightforward practice. Although it is sold as such, it is pitched as such. And tonight we are going to try to provide a comprehensive picture, the big picture, if you will, and a, a more full and complete picture of meditation, of what it is and what it is not. And also its purpose, because meditation has a goal. It is not a practice into and of itself. Everything that we do on the path must be practical, must be meaningful, purposeful. And so too should our meditations be just that. So that's why tonight's live stream is entitled Making Meditation More Meaningful. And it is the second in our series on core practices. Well, tech, well third, if you, if you include our overview, our laundry list of all the practices. And on Wednesday, we were focusing on transformation of impressions. So tonight, we're going to take a similar approach of trying to flesh out and dive deep into this matter of meditation. To begin, we are putting the link in the chat, and it's on screen. If you feel you'd like to participate, you'd like to make comments or ask questions, by all means, just follow the link and you can participate um, in a live stream as if it were if it, as if it were a Zoom call. If you don't have a camera or don't wish to, be, to show your face, you can just participate voice only. And you can do this on your phone as well. So then to begin, we want to express what meditation is in the simplest terms possible. And we feel the best way to do that is to express it as a five-year-old child might 
approach meditation. This comes from our own direct personal experience. Hello, Azazel. How are you? Hello. How are you? I'm, we're very well, thank you. Thank you for uh, chiming in and, and joining us tonight. Yeah, no problem. So we're just about to um, launch into our, our personal experience. The first time ever meditating at the age of five in this lifetime, yeah. in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. Paula says, praying is talking to your creator and meditating is listening to your creator. We'll get into that in some more detail. We, uh, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves because again, meditation is one of those things which is misunderstood. It's oversimplified and it is one thing to say, well, you know, this is what meditation is. But the fact of the matter is that what the comment that Paula just made on the screen, um, we're always listening to our creator. We're always listening to our, the logos. The logo speaks to us all the time. We don't have to be in meditation for that. No. So meditation is something else. It is also that, but that's because if we're listening all the time, then surely we are also listening in meditation. But that's just the first level of meditation. And that's why we're doing this live stream and why we're doing a, a whole series on the core practices, because we feel that so many of these practices have been oversimplified, misunderstood, and so much is being left on the table, so to speak. Yeah, and over-mystified as well, basically. Over-mystified, sure. That's that's on the other end of the spectrum, on the, uh, on the other extreme. Hmm. Some people take meditation to be uh, just a, a mental practice. It's a psychological, it's a mental uh, wellness practice it's like a relax it's a relaxation exercise yeah by over mystified i mean sometimes i think people might feel that it's unreachable in a way that it is impossible to achieve real meditation well that's uh that's another that's another problem or another way of thinking that again is is uh, counterproductive and sabotages our attempts at actually achieving meditation. But to some degree, there is truth in that. There is truth in the statement, meditation is not easy. Oh yes, and Paula says, some due to their ignorance believe that it is evil. That's, that's true, that is also true. We have also encountered people who believe that meditation is satanic and that it is the work of satanic cults and that it is the devil's doing it's a devil's practice and that um that altered states of consciousness in meditation are demonic because but those often those opinions those beliefs come from the christian the born-again christian or the radical christian right 
who hear the word occult and they immediately think demonic because yeah. in, in the in the kit in the christian context occult means satanic occult means devil worship these are people who have watched entirely too many hollywood horror movies and uh and and they have listened to their pastors and and the church and the catholic church etc who have a vested interest in uh in preventing individuals from awakening any organized religion has a vested interest in keeping the flock exactly what the word suggests sheep and yes religious fundamentalists are against meditation exactly because meditation runs the risk of shattering their beliefs and someone who is attached to their beliefs well they uh, do not react well to anything which threatens those beliefs or that belief system because they are so identified with their beliefs that um they they take it personally they they feel it as a personal threat or a personal attack when their beliefs are threatened and uh it just so happens that um it just so happens that we just wrote an article on cognitive dissonance and we just published this meme and that the our beliefs that the beliefs that we possess most often possess us and um as that relates to cognitive dissonance you may have seen this meme that we recently uh posted and it says we cannot seek the truth if we indulge our knee-jerk reactions to anything which challenges what we believe we know and uh these are so meditation in its truest form by definition meditation is a way of seeking information new information the information which we need to know and that prospect is a threat to existing beliefs no where is it we will we'll go back here or actually maybe we'll stick here for now uh paula says when you know who you truly are nothing can offend you uh, she, uh also says higher intelligence 
And if a church has a sick pastor, the church also will become sick, ill-informed, and an ill belief system. So we began by saying we were going to describe what meditation is from the perspective of a five-year-old. When we were five and we began meditating, we didn't even know that word existed. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know that other people did what we were doing. It never came up. We were, we went to uh, Catholic school, Roman Catholic. We were raised Roman Catholic. We went to Catholic church. We were an altar boy and we taught, we were taught how to pray. So we knew all about prayer. But alone in our room, lying on our bed, on our back, we would close our eyes and we just knew, we knew there was something in there. And we had to find out what it was. We had to, we had to know what was in there. It's as simple as that. The information that we sought, the knowledge, the experience, was simply to know, to, to confirm what we already knew, is that there is something there, but we didn't know what was there. We just knew it was something, and it was beckoning us calling us, tasking us to seek it out, to find it. And all we knew is that when we closed our eyes, the only thing a five-year-old knows, if they close their eyes and they see the blackness, the darkness, but there's something there, well, then it's beyond the darkness or it's in the dark. So we have to go deeper into the dark. And deeper and go deeper and go deeper and deeper and deeper. That was basically how we began meditating. The age of five. Without knowing anything about meditation, without having anybody or any outside influence, This meditation practice was, if a five-year-old child can do it, anybody can do it. And it was simply a matter of closing our eyes and, and, and telling ourselves, go deeper, go deeper. And relax, being relaxed, of course, lying in our bed, not falling asleep, and being focused and concentrated. And eventually, we got to a point where we would see what amounted to like shades of gray or shades of black or 
indigo, dark indigo, blue and purple, kind of like, like as if we were going in, in a kind of tunnel, but it was, it, it's hard to describe, but if you've performed meditation, sometimes you have that, that experience where, where it's like this blob of color in your third eye, in your mind's eye, and then it, it expands and you're as you as you're as if you're moving forward as it's getting yeah. bigger and so we as a five-year-old we uh we made that connection that's like us going in a tunnel or going through a tunnel or going through a space field like like in star trek or star wars right we're just we're moving forward through space that's what we that visualization that was present there helped us in that in our journey in conceptualizing what we were doing because remember we had no framework with which to conceptualize this we had no words to describe it we had no concepts around it we had no third party influence of any kind this was simply something which was between us well, between me and my innermost. Yeah. And that in the simplest form, the, the, the most basic, simple, five-year-old explanation, meditation is going deeper and deeper and deeper into oneself. Now, why would we do that? For us, it was because we knew there was something there and we needed to know what it was. In other words, we needed to gain information. That is the point and purpose of meditation. Is to gain new information, new knowledge, and that knowledge is experiential knowledge. It is conscious knowledge. It is that which we seek in meditation. Self-evident experiential knowledge. That is the purpose of meditation. Not relaxation. Not, not uh, you know, to, uh, to shake off all the stress and anxiety and everything from the day. That's not the purpose of meditation. That's the purpose of relaxation exercises. And most people are practicing relaxation exercises and they think they're meditating or they're spacing out. They're closing their eyes and they're letting their mind wander. They think they're meditating or they're closing their eyes and they're listening to a meditation CD and they're just listening to a guided meditation CD and they're just following along and you know, and they think they're meditating. They're not meditating. What most people believe is meditation is the preparation for meditation. What most people believe meditation is, is the process of arriving at the beginning of meditation. Meditation doesn't begin when you close your eyes. 
and relax and concentrate and visualize and pray. Meditation doesn't begin when you close your eyes and start doing pranayama. Meditation doesn't begin if you close your eyes and start uh, reciting mantras. That's not meditation. That's the beginning of the preparation to arrive to meditate. And depending on the level that you are at, depending on the experience that you have, depending on how much you have meditated or have not, or how much you have meditated lately, because meditation is one of those capacities which if you do not practice it on a regular basis you will lose the ability to do so you will find that it is it is very difficult to get back into meditation if you've not practiced it for a long time so it's not like riding a bicycle or driving a car Meditation is like meditation is like physical fitness. You have to exercise regularly. If you stop exercising for six months and then go back to the gym and think you're going to lift the same weight or think you're going to run at the same pace, you're kidding yourself. Meditation is exercise. It's, exer it's, it's exercise for the consciousness. And our ability to practice it and achieve the goal of meditation, which is information, is dependent. Yeah, I would uh, basically say that meditation is quite natural, actually. So, yeah. It's, I mean, it's already within us um, for us to use, basically. I mean, for me, it's uh, hard to describe to other people what meditation is um, because meditation basically comes to a certain degree natural to me. Uh, so it's very hard to describe to others what meditation really is um but it uh, yeah my only description would basically be like you said before to really really go deeper and deeper into yourself to find the essence of who you are basically and no matter how deep you go Every time you think you've reached the center of yourself, you've yeah, reached... that I, yeah, that is an easy way to fool ourselves because that also goes in levels. And, and what you find is every time you think you've reached the bottom, a whole new, a whole new octave opens up before you yeah and it doesn't matter how long you meditate for 
it's there is no limit because even if you do reach uh the still point the center of your being then what opens up is the rest of the universe and so there's there's never every time you think you've reached the bottom you discover that you are kidding yourself yeah and that um One of the things that is key to successful med- well let's let's start with some basics from from our personal experience. Azazel, you can feel free to chime in as well uh, with what works for you. In our case for us, we find the best time of day to meditate is early in the morning. We will often wake up sometimes three in the morning, three, four, five, six in the morning, we will wake up and it is clear to us, we just know we're not falling back asleep. And at that time of day, it's called the witching hour between three and 6 a.m., by the way. It is a very... uh, it is a very um, good time to take advantage of the quiet, the stillness, the relative temperature of your room compared to else time, but most importantly, the, the semi-sleepy state that we are in, the kind of groggy sort of state that we are in, and uh, at that at that time of night, or really early in the morning, a couple hours before we our normal wake up time, and we prefer to meditate lying in a bed. We can meditate in a chair. We can meditate, uh, you know, in different positions. The lotus position doesn't work for us because we have ridiculously long legs we're six three and long legs and we just our legs just don't we become uncomfortable very quickly in the lotus position and to meditate successfully you must be comfortable the physical body must be relaxed and it must be comfortable it's best if your spine is straight or as straight as you can make it and we also when we're meditating lying down we have a relatively firm mattress actually it's a very firm mattress and we try to put as few pillows as possible just enough just 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 enough of a thin pillow that our that our head is not that our neck is not being strained but that our spinal column and our neck is 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 straight so we'll put a small pillow or if we're lying on the floor meditating or on a yoga mat, we'll roll up a, a maybe a towel, you know, like a dish towel or something, and we'll put that just to give us a few inches off the floor so that our, our neck is not being, you know, strained, so that we're 
we're we're straight and aligned. Um, the uh, the pose, the asana is called the corpse pose. Legs slightly, well, legs heels together and feet fanned out. Now, sometimes, depending, like in the summertime, we don't have a lot of sheets and stuff on the bed, then what we'll do is we'll uh, meditate in the uh, pentagram. So with our arms stretched out to the side and our legs stretched out. So we uh, make the shape of um, Leonardo da Vinci's Vesuvian man. And when you meditate like that, that's also uh, can can uh, take your meditation to a different level just by just by uh, changing that position. Another thing we sometimes do, sometimes not for the entire duration of the meditation because of the the strain that it puts on the arms. Like eventually the arms will get tired or 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 start falling asleep or start feeling strained. So we get up, put them back down to the side. But to cross one arm over the other, always right over left. Right? Always right over left. Always. And um, you're basically, this is the Pharaoh's pose. You can you can make fists or you can have your hands open or you can like cover one of your hands with the other one but it's always right over left and uh, we find that's very useful if we're doing a lot of prayer in the meditation um, so these are some of the different poses that we use while meditating lying down and again early in the morning a couple hours before we normally get up because usually what happens to us is we'll have to get up several times in the night anyway to to go to the washroom and if we get up at like three or four in the morning to do that then we come back to bed and we'll take advantage of that opportunity and meditate for uh, a couple hours or until it's time to wake up The... Yeah, that's uh, quite similar to mm. me in certain ways. Um, I usually meditate as I go to sleep, uh, actually, uh, so that I may uh, be awake even in my dreams. So I basically meditate in order to be, become more aware of my dreams, basically. So... Um, in the beginning of my meditation, I usually see the yeah I usually see my room, even though my eyes are closed. Uh, but I see a very much different reality to my room. I can see basically uh, the negative energies and yeah uh, similar things, um, which uh, basically reminds me to. Use incense, um, basically on a daily basis, because that that is uh, something that actually works. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, it's uh, basically filled with different kind of blackness, if you will, um, or some sometimes even worse than that. But I 
yeah, I don't wish to describe that, but uh, the point being is to be aware uh, of the transitional phase between uh, the wakeful state and the dreaming state. And yeah, uh, if we do that uh, successfully, we can enter into meditation basically where we can receive the information that we need. So Paula says that um, she also wakes up every morning between three and four to meditate. Um, as Azazel says, the evening is the next best time to meditate. And evening is good to meditate for a specific kind of meditation. Now, Azazel does it before he goes to sleep for has he suggested to assist him in his dream yoga and uh, astral projection. But we also, if we meditate in the evening, we want to take advantage of that timing of that to be able to practice retrospection meditation. And uh, in which we are retrospecting on our day and we are scanning either forward through our day or backwards through our day looking for moments of transformation and we mentioned this on wednesday um, that we experienced throughout the day and then we choose that moment that that circumstance that event from that day and we meditate on it because we identify what egos were involved and it's our opportunity to meditate on those egos while the event is still f relatively fresh in our mind because it happened to us that day. And um, sometimes it's enough just to do one such event. And the goal, again, is information. But the specific kind of information that we're looking for there is comprehension, comprehension of the ego. How does the ego cause us and others suffering comprehending its inner works and this is not an intellectual exercise this is not an analysis of the mind this is replaying the event without indulging the ego without reliving the suffering without reliving the drama watching the drama unfold as if we were a third-party observer or watching it on a in a movie theater so just as when you watch something in a movie theater if you have a cathartic experience it's not because you were indulging in what you were watching so but you can have a cathartic experience the same thing when you're practicing retrospection meditation. And, <clears throat> but the cathartic experience is much more profound and much deeper because it's, it's a shamadi, it's a comprehension, where it's like what the Buddhists call a flash of lightning in the dark of night. And, and in, in, in an instant, you are flooded with all of this knowledge. And it's, and it's comprehensive knowledge. It's a complete holistic picture of that ego which you were analyzing with your consciousness that you were contemplating in retrospection meditation so that's in the evening and of course 
any time during the course of a day is the perfect time to meditate. Anytime. The thing about meditation is that, again, because depending on everyone's, everyone's a little bit different and depending on your circumstance, uh, you know, people say, oh, well, you can take 10 or 15 minutes, you know, out of your day, meditate on the bus, meditate on your lunch break, meditate during your coffee break. Well, not everybody can enter into meditation in 10 or 15 minutes. Some people take half an hour. Some people take an hour to actually begin meditating. And the hour that they spend is relaxing, concentrating, preparing themselves, getting themselves to the point where meditation can begin. And so telling people that, oh yeah, you can meditate for 15 minutes, or people think that they, oh, I just meditate. And then you get, and then you get this clever answer that many people will tell you who will say, oh no, I'm meditating all the time. I'm always in meditation. Those people are just, <laughs> those people are just living in a, in a the, 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 the mystic pride, the hubris on display when someone says that and the ignorance on display, when someone tells you that they're always meditating, that they're in meditating 24 hours a day, Uh, so Paula says, uh, yes, meditation opens up awareness, which leads to understand. Yes, meditation expands one's awareness, which in turn expands their comprehension and understanding. And, uh, she's ribbing us here when she says, I'm always in meditation. Um, there is an element of truth in that I'm always in meditation. Yeah, there is. There's an element of truth in it, but it is not, it is, but the people who say that use it as an excuse why they don't have to meditate. Yeah. And that is wrong. That is, that is wrong thinking. That's, that's just laziness and it's mystic pride and it's laziness. Because even masters meditate. Even ascended masters meditate. So, like, if, if this is just, this is an exercise. This is like going to the gym or doing your cardio or doing your weightlifting or, or going for a walk or whatever, right? It's like you can't say that, oh, well, I'm walking all the time or I'm exercising all the time. No, you're not. You have to exercise to exercise. <laughs> yeah. Right? Doesn't matter what you're doing. You have to exercise to exercise. Now, you can be you can be doing something that's physical activity and it can be so for example, today I didn't I didn't do any uh extra exercise because I had to shovel the driveway and I had about um 2 inches of solid ice that I had to scrape up off the driveway and the sidewalk. And it took me well over an hour. And when I came inside, I was completely soaked, dripping to the bone 
because of all the sweat, because it was so hard. It was so it was such uh, um, a physical job to do that. So I did basically an hour of cardio, shoveling the driveway, and and scraping up the ice. So that was my exercise. So so those things those things are possible. And it is possible to, for example, go on a Zen walk, go on a meditative walk. There are wakeful meditations. There are ways of combining meditation with other activities. So, for example, when we perform the rites of rejuvenation, we are essentially meditating the entire time. The correct application of yoga, the correct practice of yoga, is to combine it with meditation. And since meditation itself, can be performed by combining relaxation, concentration, visualization, and prayer, prayer and meditation obviously go together. So you can be in prayer and be meditating. So this notion that prayer is one thing and meditation is, a, is another, this is, a, this is a misnomer. To speak to God is a two-way conversation to connect, to engage with, is a two-way street. It's not a matter of just plugging in and downloading. <laughs> and, it's, and, and then prayer is not a matter of, of just, you know, uh, uh, reading off your uh, wish list to Santa Claus, which is how most people treat prayer, right? They're just, it's, they're, they're broadcasting, they're uploading their demands. They're uploading their... Uh, their uh, order to amazon.com and then in meditation they think they're going to download they're going to they're going to be it's going to be delivered to them what what they what they uh, ordered but both prayer and meditation are a like listen no nobody wants to have that kind of conversation like, nobody wants a one way conversation that's one of the reasons why we we invite everybody to to uh, to participate although you know, we recognize that it's it's mostly one way <laughs> in our live stream. We do recognize that. But we always take time to read people's comments. For example, when Paula says, observation without judgment is a wonderful way to meditate as well. Observation without judgment. You mean like during the day? Or during meditation? That's actually a quite interesting uh, comment. Well, that you we should never judge. We should always be without judgment. Yeah. So when we're practicing self-observation, when we're practicing self-observation, we should always be free of judgment of ourselves. That's not to say that we don't identify defects and vices. No, that's absolutely why we practice self-observation. <laughs> yeah. But, That's the main purpose, actually, for my sake. But but one of the one of the things that we run into a lot, especially on Facebook, especially when we're when we're dealing with um, with individuals who subscribe to um, the philosophy of positive thinking, mm. and um, they are they seem allergic to facing reality and facing the facts. And they will react 
to the notion of focusing on defects and vices because they say, oh, that you're being judgmental. They, 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 they call that judgment. And it's like, that's not judgment. Like noticing, there's a difference between noticing we have a defect and a vice and berating ourselves, judging ourselves for having that vice. But, but you can recognize that you made a mistake without judging yourself. But it's a common misconception among certain groups uh, and certain points of view that pointing out someone's error or someone's defect or vice is you're judging them. No, we're not judging them. An alcoholic is an alcoholic. Period. Now, to say that alcoholic is a bad person because they're an alcoholic, that's judgment. Yeah. That's judgment. But to say they're an alcoholic, they have a problem, that's a fact. That's an objective fact. It's not a judgment. To say that some per to say that, that person can't drive, that's not a judgment. They can't drive. They're a crappy driver. That's a fact. Now you just they'll say you then they'll turn around and say, no, no, but you're judging their driving. You're judging their driving skills. No, I'm not judging their driving skills. It's not a judgment, it's a statement of fact. So to observe without judgment, we should always be observing without judgment. That in and of itself is not meditation. Observing the mind in meditation in and of itself is not meditation. When observing the mind and observing the heart and observing the sensations, when self-observation becomes meditation, is in the practice of what we refer to as psychological judo. When something arises in the mind or in the heart or in the body, we observe it, we recognize it, we acknowledge it, and then we let it go. It's not as simple as just watching the, uh, the, the, the endless stream of consciousness in our mind, the endless thoughts and feelings and everything going through our psyche. Because you can be sitting next to a train track and watch the trains whizzing by. But that's very different than being next to that train tr track and recognizing and identifying the people inside the trains as they go by. One is very passive. The other is very active. Meditation, even though we emphasize, you must be relaxed. You, you cannot begin to meditate if you are tense. If you have any tension, any stress anywhere in your body, including your mind, including your heart, 
meditation is not passive. It is active. Controlled, relaxed, concentrated, focused attention. It's a, it's a balance. It's, it's, a, it's a delicate balance between falling asleep and being awake, awake. It's, it's that semi-sleepy state where, where we're, all of our faculties are being allowed to settle down and settle down and settle down and settle down. And what remains is this beacon of light, this, the, the, the consciousness. And so where were we? Ah, yes. Throughout the day, uh, hang on a second. Or, uh, um, or observation. Yeah, okay. We had that. The love and lighters. And Paula says, if you deny your shadow, the dark, you are not awake. Yes. Very well said. Very well said. Uh, It's the darkness within us that denies its that denies its existence, right? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Yeah. Right? And but try explaining that to people who who live by the mantra of positive the power of positive thinking and 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 you know, avoiding the darkness and all that stuff. So they're they're lost. They're hopelessly lost. They really are because they suffer a tremendous, uh, tremendous, a tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance. And they suffer from this tremendously, and they are so dogmatic about this, about denying the darkness, the shadow, uh, negativity. And they use the rationalizations of, oh, your spirituality is fear-based. Meanwhile, they say that entirely projecting the fear that has them in, the, in its grips. They're hopelessly possessed by fear, so much so that they're terrified to look at the darkness. They're terrified to look into themselves, into their shadow, and to acknowledge it. And so anybody who does, they project their fear onto them and say, oh, you have a fear-based spirituality, but the power of positive thinking and that, that dogmatic, everything needs to be positive, 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 that is all fear-based. It is fear. It is the comfort and security that that type of philosophy and spirituality affords them. And comfort and security is the desire for comfort and security is 100% fear based. But try explaining any of this to them. See how far you get. See if you don't get the type of reaction that we put in this meme. Even if they don't physically end up looking like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> But uh, but but 
but emotionally and energetically, this is the reaction that we get. Speaking of reactions, I don't know if Fazazil can uh, has can chime in here with his own experience, but certainly from our experience, uh, meditation, our the quality of our meditation suffers tremendously based on the impressions that we take in throughout the day and also based on our reactions. So if we do not transform impressions throughout the day or if we engage in very mechanical behaviors or we watch certain types of movies or we go to certain types of places, hang out with certain types of people and we allow ourselves to, you know, to, to become laxed in the transformation of impressions and we allow impressions to to get into us or we eat we don't eat the best food right we go to uh, a party or we go to a restaurant and we just eat some you know some uh not exactly junk food but but not the best food and or we don't behave in the most upright behavior in the, in the most upright way we have arguments or we get into whatever um, we find that our meditation suffers tremendously based on any of those scenarios where either we're putting garbage into ourselves mentally, emotionally, physically, or we're dealing out negative, we're dealing out negativity, we're dealing out garbage towards yeah. others. Yeah, so the way I see it is basically... I see it as a balance of challenging ourselves and taking care of ourselves. I mean, if we slip out of, uh, yeah, if we indulge in certain things for a certain amount of time, yeah, that's no problem. But you will have to challenge yourself to overcome that consequence of that behavior later uh, when you enter into meditation you yeah so you so if you experience that i know we experience that that we have to we have to face the consequences of our actions in yeah. meditation we and we realize just how detrimental those impressions were not transforming them because or you know indulging them instead of transforming them yeah um leads to uh, a very difficult time and a very of let, let's call a spade a spade a crappy meditation yeah it's not even sometimes not even possible to enter into meditation we spend our entire time trying to get into meditation but the, the mind won't quiet down you know things that you know like get getting caught up or that you know the we can't relax agitation tension all sorts of things going on but that's because meditation is meditation requires upright practice upright life living we we cannot meditate if we engage in unethical behavior and it is as we describe very difficult to meditate 
if we if we allow ourselves to to just you know fall into sort of typical behavior what most people think is completely normal like so playing violent video games for example or watching violent movies or uh r-rated uh, uh uh movies with r-rated sexual content and watching that mindlessly and just consuming that mindlessly and you know eating popcorn or eating a bag of doritos or or something while we're watching something mindlessly or you know american football or any of these things like doing like doing what what 99 of the population think is completely normal and completely acceptable sitting in front of the tv and just relaxing and just tuning out later on we will feel all of that in meditation we will yeah. we will experience how all of that is is now a boat anchor dragging us down and holding us back and preventing us from going deeper into ourselves or perhaps to use perhaps not to mix our metaphors it's like it's not so much a boat anchor as it is a buoy like we have a life jacket we're trying to dive deep into ourselves but all this uh behavior that we were doing now has strapped uh multiple life jackets onto us so try diving when you're wearing a life jacket yeah <laughs> Right, you know how difficult that is. You can imagine, you can use your imagination and and realize nobody goes diving with a life jacket. But that's what we're doing. If we're doing all of these superficial activities during the day in 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 our life and then we expect to do something as profound as meditate, we cannot uh feed our egos when we cannot feed our ego mind and then expect it to um cooperate you cannot strengthen it and give it the fuel that it desires to ramp up its activity and then expect to be able to quiet it down the best analogy for this that per, that perhaps we can think of is to all of you who have children or are familiar with children would you ever give your 2 year old or 3 year old or really any children under the age of i don't know 7 or 8 would you ever allow them to eat candy past a certain time like 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock like each like you know what happens to 2 year olds and 3 year olds when they get sugar into their system they're bouncing off the walls and they don't want to go to bed the mind is like that if you feed the mind what it wants right you feed the desires of ego mind you indulge those egos don't expect the mind to then settle down for you so that you can meditate it's not going to happen because your mind is mechanical the egos that dominate our mind are mechanical and if they and if they get the energy they have the energy they are going to party they are going to be in activity 
And that's going to send your mental center, your emotional center, and your physical body into tension. And then you will not be able to relax. And your mind will not be able to settle down because it's constantly going to be throwing up new, new stuff always. Or it's going to be much, much, much harder to relax and settle down. So this is very important between this concept and the transformation of impressions, which we mentioned, which we talked about on Wednesday and we mentioned a moment ago. Upright action, upright thought, upright speech, or what the Buddhists call right, right action, right thought, right speech. If throughout the day, you are going around swearing and angry and frustrated and and uh, you're you're eating junk food and you're kicking the cat and you're doing all of these <laughs> things, right? Don't expect to be able to meditate. You won't be able to. You'll spend all of your time trying to get yourself to the point of beginning meditation. So what do we do when we decide it's time to meditate? We're going to begin meditating. What's the first thing you do, Azazel? When I meditate? Well, it's basically to relax and get into a relaxing position. And uh, yeah, the rest is kind of hard to describe but I uh, focus on my own energies um, let's and, let, uh, I'm, I'm gonna pause you there mm -hmm. let's focus on that first one for just for a moment because relaxation is the foundation of meditation yeah it's the foundation do you have any techniques or practices or tricks or exercises that you can share that you do use to help you relax um i actually kind of don't have any special uh, tips and tricks for that i mean i just consciously work through myself uh feeling the body uh to see where yeah there may be tension and uh, then i relax that part say i begin with my foot if there is any tension there i focus on that part to relax it as much as possible and then i move through the entire body um and once i've gone through the entire body it's um yeah it's completely relaxed the whole body and uh, when it's uh, completely relaxed uh, then i focus on my energies and that's basically when i can see my environment um, even though my eyes are closed and uh, from that point on i just focus on my willpower basically to basically enter into the uh, dream state uh, as we call it and uh, uh, from that point it's basically not up to me from that point uh, from where it goes 
Okay, so we're just going to step back and go just, we're just mm -hmm. trying to focus on just relaxation right now. Um, okay. The, uh, the technique that you describe is uh, for everyone's benefit. It's the, 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 the body scanning technique. That's a technique of, it's a very common technique for relaxation. We learned it um, in the theater as an actor, because an actor also has to be able to relax. And so we, that's where we first learned and practiced that particular relaxation methodology. And again, you can start at the top of the head or you can start at the bottom in your feet. And you just begin by picking, starting with your toes and then your feet and then your ankles, your thighs, your knees, your your quads your hamstrings and what you do is you focus on each part of your body and then consciously using your willpower you you relax it you let it go and you you do this starting at the bottom or starting at the top and uh focusing um because you will be surprised see paula says I like to focus on my breath. You may be surprised where you are holding tension in your body that you're not aware of until you look at each specific part of your body and 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 all of a sudden you 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 find hidden tension that you weren't aware of was there that you were holding tension there. You have to physically consciously let it go. Um this scanning body scanning technique is very uh, uh common it's very it's but it's very effective and it's one that we had to use a lot because of course with our with our condition we held a lot of tension and a lot of stress all the time especially in the lower half of our body we carry a lot of stress and a lot of tension in our legs. And depending on who you are, one of the reasons why the majority of us carry tension and stress in our legs. Have you ever watched someone who sits there and their knee is jumping up and down? Their knee yeah. is shaking? Um, we carry a lot of stress and a lot of tension. And the reason for that is because of the kunda buffer organ, which 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 is a which is a organ of the vital body, and in which the egos are crystallized and it descends from the coccyx. It's the metaphorical tale of Satan. Well, it descends from the coccyx down to our feet, and so radiating out from the kunda buffer organ are the negative energies, the negative field of all of the egos that are crystallized within it, our individual shaitan. So that, that field, that morphic field relates to the field of our vital body. And that, so, the, so a lot of us will feel and have tension built up in the buttocks, in the thighs, the hips, hamstrings, the, uh, the quadriceps. You know, and then there's so many people with bad knees. 
right? And then, you know, people talk about arthritis and, you know, bad knees. Bad knees is tension. It's stress. It's, uh, it's too much cortisol and uh, that's be being uh, secreted and it's eating away at the, uh, the cartilage in the knees because we have, we have subconscious, we're, we're subconsciously, we're carrying too much weight on our shoulders and all the stress and the tension, we feel that is weight and the body is reacting to that. And the, uh, the, the, the cartilage in the knees are being worn down as if we were carrying physical weight because you don't have to carry physical weight to create the strain and stress in the body. And that's generally in the lower half of the body. So many people have uh, foot problems um, and, uh, you know, our, our own father suffers from gout in the feet. Um, many, 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 many issues related to stress and tension being held in the body. So now, having said that, Paula does mention focus on breath. Breathing is very important during meditation. Focusing on the breath is an excellent way to prepare ourselves for meditation. We mentioned in the um, last week about pranayama and combining pranayama with meditation. Well, pranayama means breath control. So, but before one begins pranayama, one can simply just focus on the breath. And yogic breathing, that is breathing from the diaphragm into the solar plexus, right? We don't want to breathe into the chest. We don't want to do this because we're going to have a terrible meditation. Because when you breathe into your chest, all the strain, all the stress in your upper body here, <clears throat> very difficult to relax. Yeah, so if you do a body scan, you will actually notice that it will be impossible to relax all the parts if you breathe in that way. So, so yeah. So focusing on the breath and doing a, a breathing into the solar plexus, breathing from the diaphragm, that's, of course, very good. Now, here's the thing about the breath. It's one thing to focus on the breath. Second thing is to use the breath, mm -hmm. the out-breath, in through the nose, out through the mouth. This automatically begins to relax the body. In through the nose. When you breathe out through the mouth, that contributes to relaxation of the physical body. So when you are doing your scanning and when you are focusing on different body parts, combine this, orchestrate this, with conscious breathing and focusing on the breath. So now you can breathe into that body part. Yeah. Send the breath into that body part. Send the prana, the chi, into that body part with your conscious uh, uh, willpower. And then breathe out and dissipate the energy and when you dissipate the energy, you dissipate the breath, you're dissipating the tension. And feel, if you're sitting or lying down, feel that body part sink 
downward so that it's being completely supported by whatever's supporting it. So one of the benefits to meditating lying down is you're totally suspended by the floor or the bed or whatever it is that you're lying down on and you can completely let go and give way. And you do not have to hold any tension whatsoever because when you're sitting upright in the lotus position, you have to balance yourself. You have to hold some, some tension to keep yourself upright, to keep yourself from falling over. But if you're, if you're sitting in a comfortable chair or you're lying down, you don't, you don't have to do that. Okay. So we talked about uh, 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 the, um, so relaxation. Paula says, sometimes hum to clear my mind and says, or I use mantras. Okay, we're going to get to that in a minute. Before we get there, we'll talk about the second component of meditation, which is con concentration. Concentration is... Now, concentration is difficult to describe. And, yeah. Um, we would say that this is something that you can use mantras to help you or focusing on the breath and really concentrating and focusing. So if you practice pranayama at this point and you're using your focus concentrated attention, which means you're focused and concentrated on the pranayama or on the mantra that you are reciting mentally. You're not wandering off thinking about different things, you know, while you're doing the pranayama. Or you're not thinking about something else and you're while you're mechanically reciting the mantra. You need to really focus and concentrate on what you're doing. Staying relaxed. This can help bring your focus and your concentration to a point having that that mantra or, or your breath or you can even focus on a body part um what's that uh meditation called the vipassayana meditation did i pronounce that correctly where it's a school of meditation where they focus on the breath coming into one part of the body and leaving one part of the body. So for example, the left nostril. And then that's all you do is focus on that. It's a very, very uh, specific school of meditation. Um, but it's, but that practice can be used to help focus your concentration at the beginning of meditation. Um, we're going to jump back here for a moment. Uh, Paula, uh, Paula said, you are the Godhead of your reality. What you choose to put into your five senses, which are all at the head of the body, which is your own personal universe, will shape your reality. Control your thoughts or they will control you. And Dylan says, mudras, find, find it communicates with the mind. Allow you to go deeper into what you are meditating on. Also gives you an anchor a point of reference if you get too far out or start to drift. 
mudras uh you mean the hand positions um i'm assuming uh we've never used hand positions we don't find uh the only as we said we the, what we described the the pharaoh's pose the corpse pose or the the uh the vesuvian man the pentagram we find those uh valuable we've never worked with mudras so if you find them valuable then then good you find them value to help focus your concentration and keep you grounded for us the goal of meditation is to ultimately leave the physical body behind so we don't personally we don't find it useful or beneficial for us to be grounded in any way in the physical body because for us that is very much a huge handicap that we have to live with right the the of of you know the epilepsy and the other related symptoms which go along with that so for us we need to transcend that and and our physical body is fighting us at every single turn is fighting our ability to meditate so we are not going to add fuel to the fire by by doing something that makes us focus more on the physical body we don't require that we don't need that what we need personally is to uh is to work towards that body being as comfortable and as relaxed as it possibly can be and focus and concentrate on the task at hand which is to go deeper and go deeper and we do that by beginning with pranayama and we get to a point where we may begin doing the pranayama or hamsa pranayama we may begin doing it audibly but then it eventually completely moves mentally and then we we drop the mantras all together and we drop any special kind of breathing and we simply are moving the prana and chi uh, with our willpower and then finally we get to a place where we just stop doing that so it's 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 we we ramp down from there and then so again it's all about bringing everything down over over uh over a period of time yeah in relation to mudras uh, using the sigrun or uh, basically keeping your fingers like this in the middle to gain equilibrium uh, in the mind uh, can be useful uh, just to find that uh, kind of concentration but that's not something that i do all the time it's just doing this if my mind keeps wandering too much or something to yeah basically sharpen the mind okay so the next stage if you want to call it that is we've we've relaxed we're concentrated now we can go in wow one of two different directions here 
the first direction we can go, it doesn't matter what we do, we're going to be visualizing. The question is, are we going to be focused and visualizing on what is there? Or are we going to be actively using our imagination to visualize something which represents what we know is there? And this is a choice that we can all make. And both of them are valid uh, directions to go because stimulating the imagination and stimulating the visual, uh, the visualization faculty of consciousness is beneficial because that is one of the ways in which we will receive information. We receive insight. That's why it's called insight. Insight. And enlightenment and illumination and visions, right? These words exist because all of that exists within the, the faculty of visualization of consciousness. So visualization is an essential component of meditation, no matter what kind of meditation you do. Whether you're actively visualizing or you're actively visualizing, if you're actively imagining and visualizing what you're imagining or you're actively visualizing what is there, doesn't matter. You have to activate, you have to be visualized. We can, again, if you want to use your conscious imagination, then you can visualize a deity. You can visualize the Buddha, Jesus. Uh, it's, it's more difficult to visualize Muhammad because their religion forbids uh, representations of him. But you can visualize anything that speaks to your heart as a representation of your innermost being or the being of your being, the cosmic Christ, the Logos. You can visualize the Divine Mother, Mary. You can visualize the Mona Lisa because the Mona Lisa is Leonardo da Vinci's Divine Mother. It's a portrait of his own Divine Mother. So, and it's, the Mona Lisa is available anywhere. There's a, you've probably seen it a million times. And so it's a, uh, an easily visualized uh, portrait of the Divine Mother. If you are not using your conscious imagination to visualize, then focus on what's there. However, the trick here is not to focus with your physical eyes. This is, this is subtle. What we are trying to activate is our third eye, our mind's eye. We want to be able to see with our mind's eye, whether we're imagining something or we're just watching what's there. It's our, it's our third eye that we want to be looking with, not our physical eyes. And if you observe yourself carefully, you will notice that your physical eyes will be trying to focus and you'll be looking forward through your eyelids, whereas what we want to achieve is for our eyes to roll 
into the back of our head as if we were sleeping. And the ability to know the difference between that, it's something that can only come, that discernment can only come through practice. And um, so we want to relax the eyeballs and relax the muscles behind the eyes and allow them. And that's why relaxation is so important. Because we want our eyes to become completely relaxed and essentially roll up into our head so that we can see not with our eyes, but with our third eye. Because if, our, if you're trying to visualize with your physical eyes, you're not, going to, you're not going to receive the information that you seek. You're, you cannot receive that information through your physical eyes. But if you're trying, your physical eyes are, then your physical eyes are going to be getting in the way of the third eye, which is where you actually can receive information and meditation. The last component is prayer. And prayer is, you will always pray in meditation, just not always verbally, not always words in your mind. If you are visualizing uh, and imagining your divine mother or your innermost being or the logos and you're using the buddha or jesus or whatever visualization that speaks to your heart then you want to pray to that image and that combination of relaxation concentration visualization and prayer will draw you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into yourself and that's a very, and that formula is a way that it's a powerful way to meditate. And it's a, it's a, uh, say proven, it's, but yeah, it's a proven methodology that works. If you are not going to verbalize, and if you're not imagining, if you're just viewing what's there, your prayer will be more of an intention. It'll be more of your conscious will, your willpower to go deeper, to go deeper. Or if you're practicing psychological judo, where things are arising and you're looking at them, you're acknowledging them, and you're letting them go. Prayer is not only what you say, prayer is also your attitude and what you don't say and what you don't do. Ritual is nothing but prayer expressed through the physical body, through the physical movements. So Paula says, Gratitude helps me to go deeper. So to be grateful, to feel that, to feel gratitude is in the superior heart center. You're praying with your heart, not with your words, not with your mind. You're praying with your heart. And as you will yourself deeper, if you're doing that methodology, 
Now, when I was doing that as a five-year-old, I was saying, go deeper, go deeper, go deeper, go deeper. I don't have to say, go deeper, go deeper, go deeper in my mind anymore. I can simply breathe and observe and know and just know and feel and will myself deeper and deeper and deeper. Working yeah. with the causal, with working with the causal body, with the willpower, right? With telema, which is willpower. But we're so we're always praying because praying is active. Praying is reaching out to make that connection, to engage. That is the prayer part. To say that meditation can exist without prayer. To, to pray is to put oneself into a position where one is able to receive because one has made the effort to reach out and make the connection. So if you think about it in very simple terms, if you want, if you need to vacuum up your room, you need to take the cord and plug it into the wall so that your vacuum cleaner has power. The act of plugging the cord into the wall is prayer. If in meditation, the distance between you and the plug in the wall is a very long distance. You have to go quite a ways to plug the cord into the wall. That's why vacuum cleaners have such long cords. So that act in meditation is that act of reaching out, walking across the room, going deeper and deeper and deeper, holding that cord in your hand, that plug in your hand. That that the the, uh, the that you're going to plug into the wall, and then once you do that, you've you've established a connection. Now, the energy, the knowledge, whatever can flow, that which can flow. Yeah. So prayer is basically reaching out with your being. Before you can reach out with your being, you have to reach out to your being. Yeah, exactly. So, and you can do this through pure visualization as well. So, you can visualize your innermost being and visualize them moving closer. And in space, because of relativity, you don't know if they're moving closer to you or you're moving closer to get to them or both. It doesn't matter, but you're moving closer and closer and closer. And then at some point you merge into one and really feel that, really experience that merging and you feel one with your being. Now you can 
go deeper or reach out with your being. Yeah. One with your being. But before you can do that, you have to experience some kind of uh, experience of being one and feeling that connection, that bond, that union with your higher self. Yeah. Um, we have a, a, a couple of uh, comments here that we should get. Um... Okay. Paula says, I know I've had a great meditation when my Kundalini rises during that time. This has happened to me multiple times. Some believe it only happens once and only during white Tantra, but this has not been my experience. The prana or chi energy flows effortlessly through me. Truth and love is the way. Uh, we, we're not going to dispute your experience of things, but uh, prana and chi are not the kundalini. They're not the same thing. They're related, but they're not the same thing. So, But if you believe that's what uh, occurs in, when you meditate, then... then we're not going to um, we're not going to dispute your experience. Um, Dylan says, "Not a physical anchor, your mind. Each mudra creates a current which communicates an idea. For instance, one is the mudra for Mother Earth, helps you hold your vision. No worries, mate. Just food for thought. No, that's fine. If mudras work for you, that's that's fantastic. That's perfect. They have never worked for us." Because for the very reason that we have a special case, right? It's like we, we yeah. cannot do anything where we are. And plus, the other thing is mudras don't. We are, our preference is to lie down when we meditate. And anytime we are holding anything in our body, anything, it's just for us, it is, for us, it's not beneficial to do that. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Whatever works for you. If it works for you, then it works for you. That's great. I'm just saying it just it hasn't or doesn't work for us, hasn't worked for us. And so we don't we don't do it. That's all. It's certainly not necessary. Right? It's not necessary. We are here to talk about the core of meditation and what is necessary in all meditation. That you cannot, must not. And cannot avoid and if you do you're not meditating that is the point of this particular um, um, live stream understanding that everybody can share whatever works for them and that's great because there's many 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 techniques and there's many 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 things mantras and mudras and asanas right we mentioned one for example lying in the pentagram on, on the floor or on the bed. Well, certainly you don't have to do that to, in order to meditate, right? It is not necessary, but it is, but it is beneficial. It can help you and it can increase the power and potency of your meditation. For example, if you lie down meditating, your head should be pointed north. In fact, your bed should be oriented so that you're sleeping that way, so that your head points toward the north. So that your body is in alignment with the natural flow of the electromagnetic field of the earth. So always try to sleep north to south uh, with your head pointing north. Yeah, you so, can use mudras in the astral body as well. 
um, if you don't want to use it physically, uh, you can use it also in the astral body. Uh, so, and that's a good uh, description actually uh, for what mudras actually are for. Yeah, but this is another another thing is that he mentions here. Uh, Dylan says it creates a current which communicates an idea. Um, it does, but only if that mudra is meaningful for you. Yeah. Nothing that we do here works mechanically. Right? So when you're in meditation, there are certain things that will have an effect, that will have an inherent effect. But in all honesty, again, all of this stuff is it's all designed to help you enter into meditation. It's all... yeah designed to help you reach into meditation. Once you're once you begin meditating, the on-ramp is left is, go, is left behind. Right? Like the on-ramp gets you onto the highway. Once you're on the highway, you're on the highway. You don't need the on-ramp anymore. Let it go. Yeah. Because it's just going to hold you back. It's just a hindrance now. That's another aspect, another reason why we're emphasizing and what we described in the description of tonight's live stream is that um, a lot of what gets sold as meditation is not meditation. It's the preparation for meditation. And it's important to remember the difference between these two things. The same way that before an elite athlete begins a marathon, they do what? They warm up. They do stretches. They do calisthenics. They do whatever they do, but they have a ritual that they do warming up in preparation for the marathon. Then the marathon begins. Now they're running. They're not stretching anymore. They're not doing calisthenics anymore. They're not doing their ritual anymore that prepared them for the marathon. Now they're doing the marathon. We must recognize that meditation is like this. Does not mean that meditation cannot be combined with other practices. For example, we can be meditating and practicing pranayama at the same time. We can be doing that. But pranayama is not meditation and it's not required for meditation. Pranayama can help us get into meditation and combining meditation and pranayama is a powerful exercise. But for different reasons, And the pranayama itself is not meditation. The two things are related and they support one another. And certainly there are Tibetan practices that combine hamsa meditation, or sorry, hamsa pranayama with meditation. And the Tibetan Buddhists practice that with um, 
on the basis of that it is a easy is not the right word, but it it tends to lead to shamadi. It assists in the um, in shamadi. Erwin Embro says Dr. Wayne Dyer wrote a book, uh, "The Gap." Yeah, getting into the gap, um, including a CD, a guided Japa meditation using the Lord's Prayer. It works well. We remember that, that Japa meditation, but we can't remember what exactly the practice was. Is it, is it you, um, you meditate on each word in the, in the Lord's Prayer, in the Our Father? Or we can't remember exactly what the practice was. But when it comes to CDs and you know, guided meditations and whatever there it's, it's fine. It's, it's, they're good for beginners. We had that <clears throat> Dr. Wayne Dyer, Japa meditation CD. We had that and we use it once. Uh, we tried it once. Most guided meditations in our experience, unless they're in person or they're being done live with the person who's leading the meditation, having some kind of a connection to the practitioners in the room. Uh, you see, the CD has no connection to you. The CD can't feel where you're at. The CD doesn't know. It's just, it's, it worked for somebody somewhere, they recorded it, and it, it may work for you, it may not work for you, you know. Meditation, ultimately, has to be done without any artifice. But we recognize that for many people, uh, meditation is a daunting undertaking, and if they don't have a support group, and if they don't have the experience, and they might feel like they're spinning their wheels and not getting anywhere. It is perfectly acceptable to begin one's meditation practice with a set of training wheels. It is perfectly acceptable. Use the meditation CDs. Allow, you know, use the um, those guided meditations. But again, a lot of those meditations, so-called, they really, what they've done is like when you get to the end of that 20 minute or half an hour, or, you know, CD, a lot of people turn it off and get up and say, oh, I had a good meditation. And then they go on their way. Your meditation begins at the end of that CD. No matter what it's doing, your meditation really begins when it ends. So when it ends, don't get up. Don't open your eyes. 
and don't have the thing on repeat. Have it play once and stop. And then stay wherever it, wherever you got to using that CD, stay there. And then start going deeper. Right? That's your starting point. That's when your meditation begins. That's why one of the reasons why these meditation CDs are so problematic. And the and especially the ones that are the ones that have certain frequencies related to them. That that will start attuning you and start putting your mind into alpha waves and beta waves and delta waves and all this kind of stuff. You know, meditation is not a mechanical thing. And it's to treat it that way, to treat it as, well, I just have to zap my head with the right, uh, um, uh, you know, vibra uh, frequency vibrations. If I can get my brain generating the right vibrations, then that's all that matters. Or listening to the guided uh, meditation and, oh, I had my 20-minute meditation today because I, you know, I listened to my meditation CD. Those are, the most of them are at best elaborate relaxation and visualization exercises. And they're good. Again, they help you by giving you tools that you can use to get into meditation. But that's all they're doing. They're getting you into meditation. They are not meditation themselves. In our experience, meditation begins uh, depending on our the day that we're having or the day that we had the previous day, if we're talking about the morning, I'm meditating in the morning. Uh, for us, meditation begins it really, it really does depend. But when we began meditating, meditation began for us uh, after the first hour of sitting or lying in meditation. Meditation really didn't begin until we were into it for an hour. For us, we, we feel that meditation doesn't really begin until you achieve uh, shunyata or calm abiding. Until then, you're just preparing for meditation. That's, that's our experience. And that's how we define meditation. We define meditation as when your, the mind settles down, everything's settled down, and you now have a crystal clear mountain lake that is capable of reflecting the heavens. That is when meditation begins. For many people, they believe that that is the goal of meditation. And that's where they stop meditating once they arrive at that place. That's where we begin meditating. If you are doing this practice and you have a sudden impulse to get up, to stop, don't. Because, because 
that impulse to abandon your practice at that time is coming to you to sabotage what what is just waiting for you around the corner anytime you feel an impulse to end your meditation now you need a little discernment here because if you receive an intuition that you have to get up for some reason you certainly want to listen to that but the egos are very 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 tricky and very clever and very subtle when we're practicing meditation and you will be on the verge and right before you can experience whatever it is that you are about to experience or receive or whatever you will have an urge to get up so don't keep going keep going meditation ends when meditation ends properly naturally it's never an urge to end it it's it, 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 it it's a it's a gentle it's a gentle release it's we can liken it to if we go back to the diving analogy if you've ever gone diving you know about the phenomenon that they call getting the bends and you get the bends by coming up too quickly and your body can't um, your body doesn't adjust to the changing pressures of coming up through the atmospheres too too quickly and then what happens is the uh, the oxygen in your blood begins to um, form bubbles and then you you essentially well it's a nasty thing you don't want to do it so you don't want to come up faster than what the bubbles so you come up slowly right when you're diving in order to prevent the bends treat your meditation the same way so that when you have a sudden urge to end your meditation say no 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 i'm going to get the bends if i do that and say i'm going to allow my being my divine mother to end this meditation for me see at some point when you begin meditating even though you're continuously praying and visualizing and concentrating and relaxing that's your part but at some point there's a transference of activity and you start being taken and when you and usually right before or right during or right before that you are about to be taken to a completely different level or an experience or shamadi or whatever there's going to be an urge 
coming up inside of you to stop what you're doing. To, to break out of it. Uh, this is a very, very, very difficult thing to ignore or fight against. But rest assured that whatever it is that you've done up until that point, it cannot compare to what's waiting for you beyond that point. So resist the urge to break and give yourself surrender to the meditation. Go where it takes you. Allow yourself to be taken and, and relax. And wherever it is that you're being taken and whatever it is you end up going, there will come a point when you're just released and you just float back up to the surface and you, you'll open your eyes and you will feel, okay, that was a good meditation. That was a solid meditation. I went as far as I needed to go, or I received that which I needed to receive, I was given, I saw, or shown that which I, which I needed to see. And once the point, the purpose of that meditation was fulfilled, then my being let me go. And I came back. And it's not an urge to quit. It's not an urge to end. It's not like that. Never meditate with a timer. Never set your timer to say, okay, I'm going to meditate for an hour. Don't ever do that. If you're meditating in the morning and you have to get up at 7 and your alarm's going to go off at 7, well, I mean, it's going to do what it's going to do. But if you if you have if you're in a situation like that, then then get up at three and start meditating at three. Right? That gives you four hours before your alarm goes off. But you can't meditate with the clock ticking down in the back of your mind. If you want to relax, it's you need the space, you need the uh, the you have to give yourself that slack. The freedom to be able to be taken to places that you've never gone before, including duration of meditation. Paula says, I've spent an hour meditating before just to realize I was only prepping. I know what you mean. Um, and that's exactly what we mean. And that's why we're emphasizing that so much in this live stream because... We've also been there. We've also done that. Where we have, and we also know exactly what we're talking about when we say it doesn't matter what level you get to. You're just bumping on the ceiling of the next level. <laughs> you, yeah. might think, you might think you've hit the, the, the basement, but you're knocking on the ceiling of the next level. 
the next octave. Um, how low can you go? How deep can you go? There's no limit. Here's another thing. If you go into meditation with an expectation of getting something out of it, you will get nothing of it. You cannot enter into meditation with any desire whatsoever, with any expectation or with any attachments, including and especially, especially to shamadi. If you don't know what shamadi is, shamadi literally uh, translates to ecstasy. There are many, 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 many different forms of shamadi, including the one which we describe in retrospection meditation as comprehension, when we are meditating on our egos. And we receive that insight or that clarity. But there are other versions of shamadi. For example, you can be shown something when you receive information and it can be crystallized in your mind. Now, here's something that we wanted to mention when we were discussing visualization. Most of us, when we close our eyes, we, we see things on our mind's eye, but it's, it's, we don't really see them. It's just, you know, they're there in, in a kind of a, a, a vague sort of conceptual way. But it is possible in meditation through the practice of visualization and continually practicing visualization and, and, and improving that faculty of consciousness to receive and actually see, see in your mind's eye, but clearly have things crystallize into an actual vision. That's a possibility. And the important part is to remain relaxed, including your mind and re like relax because, because if we get really excited, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I can see this vision again, poof, it's gone. Just like when we're projecting in the astral plane, if we're, if we're, if we're in the astral plane and we wake up and we go, oh my God, I'm awake in the astral plane, poof, we're going to, we're going to, we're, we're gone. <laughs> yeah. So staying relaxed is, is absolutely key. And now, you know, if you experience some kind of shamadi, if you experience something in meditation, the first time, the second time, whatever, when you have it, you're, you're going to be overwhelmed. It's going to be, it's going to overwhelm you in some way. So of course it's natural. We're only human and, and it's a new experience for us. We're like, oh my God, I heard all about this. Boom, it's gone. We're out. We're out of the meditation. We're wide awake. We're everything else. You know what? Don't berate yourself. Don't beat yourself up over it. It happens. It happens to the best of us. But the important thing is to not really care. Right? The best way to approach meditation is I don't want a shamadi. I'm not hoping for any information. In other words, the same attitude 
that we have in the practice of transformation of impressions. Yeah, just to be basically. To be indifferent. Yeah. To not care either way. And you see, this is why self-observation, self-remembering, and transformation of impressions comes first. Yeah. Before meditation. Because that practice prepares you for meditation. Just as meditation strengthens your muscles, builds your muscles, that makes your self-observation and self-remembering and transformations of impressions better. It makes you better at that. Yeah. But, but coming to meditation without any expectations and without any attachments and without any, for example, two years ago when we, when this whole global plague was first uh, coming onto the world stage, and they were making a big deal about it and everything else. Something, you know, we were like, no, we have to know what this thing is all about. We have to know what this thing's really all about. So I was like, seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night. Maybe it was earlier. It was already dark, but it was like January, February, right, of 2020. Just went, lay down in the bed, closed our eyes, and... We did pranayama, we did what we usually do to get into meditation, and then we began to pray, and we, we were praying, listen, you know, please, you know, show me, show me what this is all about. Actually, yeah. we, never, we never say, I never, I never play show me, I always play show up, <laughs> because I always, mm. I always unite with Atlas first. So it's mm -hmm. always where I'm always one with Atlas when I meditate. I never meditate by myself, right? I always, we're always praying to the logos. I don't pray to my innermost being anymore. I am my innermost being. We are one. Okay. So most of the time. So when we're in meditation, we make sure that we're like that. And then we pray to the logos. So, so we are asking the logos to show us. And specifically, we invoked, we uh, uh, invoked the, uh, the masters of medicine. We prayed to the logos and we prayed, listen, if you're not too busy, could you uh, could you have the masters of medicine inform us as to what, what's going on? And then the shamadi that we experienced, the vision that we had, was a complete uh, visual documentary style presentation that was revealing to us the nature of exosomes. Now, was the word, did the word exosome appear? No. Did that come to come into our mind? No. What, were, what we were being shown was the actual mechanics of toxic material and dangerous damaged genetic material being coming out of living cells in the form of these, these things called exosomes. And that 
that the immune system was locking them down with antibodies and uh, and 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 feeling them out and it had each one had a particular uh, uh, molecular uh, signature and so the immune system interacts with that and then it produces antibodies because because this particular uh, package this exosome has a molecular signature on its surface which is like a barcode it's like a QR code that communicates what's inside yeah you see the cell can't directly into the cells can't directly interface with the toxin or the damaged genetic material because that's dangerous that's inherently yeah. dangerous because it could get inside the cell and infect the cell the the da damaged dna or the toxin right so it has to be packed it has to be quarantined inside the body and that's what exosomes are and then they go through the body and the and they are they they communicate to the rest of the body about some environmental uh, um, threat, which is causing this toxicity inside the body. So, in other words, there's environmental toxicity that is producing these effects in the body. So, so, and then these are locked down by the exosomes, and then they communicate. And anyway, all of this appeared. To us in meditation yeah it was vivid it was clear it was almost as if it was like a computer animated documentary or whatever but it wasn't computer animated it was actual real cells and we were there and diving into the body and we were being taken on this journey through all of this yeah the next I've had, day... uh... oh, sorry go ahead go ahead azazel yeah yeah so i've uh, basically had uh similar experience uh, to that, uh, especially when it comes to language. Uh, when I was uh, shown how the Sumerian language actually worked and oh, yeah. how they uh, were uh, basically magical formulas for language to develop in later times. So within the Sumerian language, you have yeah, Swedish, English, every language that you see today are basically based on those tablets. So all the language is basically contained in those uh, tablets. And mm -hmm. if we, for example, would destroy those um, tablets, then language would um, change very quickly in a different route uh, which it otherwise would take so um, that gave me a lot of insight on how language um, works basically that's interesting so the uh you are shown that the sumerian tablets themselves in a way still anchor all the languages and that yes if they, if they were destroyed then language would 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 be liberated or in some way yeah so um yeah so the language we have today would basically basically become more and more lazy and um, oh. more and more yeah like um, it already is <laughs> yeah exactly it would become more complicated and uh, yeah 
um, until at last people wouldn't understand each other, basically, sure. or it would be very, very hard to understand each other. Sure. Uh, so there was a reason why, oh yes, uh, the story about the, uh, the plague and the, uh, Shamadi we had in meditation. The next day we went onto Google and we typed a description of what we had seen in meditation and what came up was a bunch of obscure research papers from various different Harvard Medical School and John Hopkins University and these kinds of places talking about exosomes. And I was like, exosomes? I had never heard the word ever before in my life. Yeah. And I now I didn't I didn't go to I didn't take biology at university. But uh, a good friend of mine from high school, he's a molecular biologist and he's a virologist. That's all he took. And we, he, we talked a lot about the immune system. I, I did very well in biology in uh, high school. I was supposed to be a doctor, according to my parents. And I was going to go into science for, for a while there. Um, so I took great interest in biology. I got uh, a perfect final grade in uh high school biology and i had never heard the term exosomes ever and i thought this is very strange and then i stumbled upon a paper i started reading about exosomes and lo and behold this paper from john hopkins university this 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 peer-reviewed paper by these phd uh virologists saying you know what at the best of times at the best of times, we can't tell the difference between a virus and an exosome. Yeah. And there it was. There it was right there in black and white. Those papers, by the way, have now all been removed from the internet. You can't find them anymore. Or they might still be on the internet, but you can't find them through, through Google. You can't find them through any conventional means. Um, so we know... We know what the plague is all about and what it isn't all about. And that's why we're not getting the jabby jab and we would never get the jabby jab, right? Because we know that has nothing to do with what they claim it is. And um, the reason why we're using these, this strange language to talk about it and we're, we're, we avoid because uh, we don't want, uh, we don't want uh, the alphabet soup company to come down and uh, and start redacting our live streams on meditation because of uh, for political reasons, right? So, yeah. in any case, um, the point is is that had we uh, not been totally relaxed and totally indifferent, and just like if we had been, oh my god, this is so amazing we would never have received the information we needed to receive. So um, we need to practice transformation of impressions throughout the day so that if we are in meditation, if we do have a shamadi, if we are being shown a vision, if we are 
receiving information that we that we not get freaked out about her and then we not get overexcited or exacerbated by it and um and and uh and lose the benefit of that meditation but again we reiterate even though this is this is very hard to for the brain to understand very hard for the mind to grasp how it is that someone lies down or, or like enters into meditation with the express reason to get an answer to a specific question and not have any expectations or attachments to the answer yeah this is the challenge this is the this is the yeah subtle, that's really challenging it's the subtle paradox right but the reason, but it's the simple, the simple, this is why prayer is important. And who was it uh, earlier? Paula said the, the gratitude, right? The attitude of gratitude. Okay. Yeah. If you are a beggar, if you are a beggar on the street, right? Like the begging Buddha. That's why there's the begging Buddha. Yeah. Right, who has his open cup? Remember, remember what the Buddha Buddha said about having an open, uh, empty cup and a full cup. No, I don't. Uh, yeah. Okay, so so you, have you ever heard the expression "your cup is full"? Yeah. Okay, what does it mean? Your cup is full. That I cannot receive anything more in that cup. Yeah. It's self-evident, right? Yeah. It's self-evident. If your cup is full, the, the the lovely waitress at the coffee bar, the one that you think is really cute, yeah. she's, she's not going to come and pour more coffee into your... That doesn't happen at coffee bars, though, does it? Because they charge ridiculous... No, no. That happens in American diners, right? Where you can all you can drink coffee, right? Yeah. And, and they come and they fill it up. I guess it happens in Europe, too, in the coffee... Is it happen in Europe too in the coffee houses that they come and they fill up your coffee at the table? No, right? no, <laughs> you have to serve no. yourself when you, it you comes serve to yourself coffee. Or they charge you an arm and you're like in in the United States they still have these things called diners. Do you know what a diner is? Yeah, I've been to a diner actually, and I've actually compared coffee to the coffee in United States and in Sweden. And in Sweden, it's like tar. It's very, very strong. And in, in the USA, it's like water to us. So uh, when I went to a diner with my family in New York, uh, we basically needed like four or five cups of coffee too. But here's the thing, right? In a diner, they're happy to pour you yeah. four or five cups of coffee. It's a, you order one coffee in a diner, and it's and it's 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 unlimited refills. Yeah. So that's why it's like that because, like, because American coffee, the way people drink coffee here, they drink all day non-stop they drink coffee there's always coffee on the pot yeah right so it's not the same as in europe because i understand in europe and well turkish coffee for example right yeah. like turkish coffee you can stand a spoon up in it same with greek coffee i've never been to sweden 
So I'm only, I, but I, as you're describing it, I can only assume, right? Um, it's like you guys basically drink espresso. Yeah. Um, and it's like that most places in Europe and most places around the world are like that. For them, coffee is, you have a coffee. Yeah. Right? North America is not like that. It's nope. only become that. Only Starbucks has made it like we're starting to bring in the stronger coffee and whatever. But every other place you go to a, a donut shop or a cafe or whatever, you get like North American coffee. That's why they sell coffee in like these huge, like if you get coffee takeout at a donut shop in Canada, you can get like a yeah. 16 ounce coffee. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because in North America, it's not, we don't have a cafe culture. We've never had a cafe culture. Not like in Europe. But what we do have is uh, a hockey culture and a football culture, like American football. Both of those sports, football is played outdoors in the winter in the United States. And, and hockey, whether it's played outdoors or in the skating rink, is cold as hell. Yeah. And so the people always want a hot coffee. It's, for, they, they most, it's mostly for the temperature and the caffeine yeah. that keeps you warm. So nobody wants to drink like a thumbnail of coffee. It doesn't matter how strong it is. That's not why they drink coffee in North America. They drink no. coffee because the kids are playing uh, playing hockey and they have to sit there in a cold arena or they're sitting in a cold car or whatever. That's the philosophy behind it, I think. Yeah. And um, anyway, how do we get talking on about coffee? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but... Uh, but there you go. So here's a good example now. This is a good yeah. example of what to do when your mind wanders in meditation. Yeah. Look, we just spent 10 minutes talking about coffee. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. how do we bring it back to where we were? Where did we get, where did we go off the rails? Do you remember? Yeah, it was uh, when we were talking about the cup being half yes. empty. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's correct. Now, this is exactly what you do in meditation or anywhere for that matter. When your mind starts to wander, you bring it back to the point that caused your mind to wander what was it that caused you to get off track you come back to that point and you focus on that and you acknowledge that and you make sure that you are aware of where things went off the rail this is an important practice all the time but especially in, in meditation yeah. it's not enough just to bring yourself back to meditation bring yourself back to the point what was it that caused us to go off the rails, to go off on this tangent? <laughs> yeah. And so it was the cup. The cup is full. So like I said, when the cup is full, the waitress can't pour you more coffee. Yeah. That's how we got off the thread. So the empty cup is a symbol of you are a vessel and you can be filled with something. You're an empty cup. So it's 
actually makes more sense. It makes more sense if you're a beggar to go out with an empty cup than it is to go out with a full cup. Right? Yeah. So it makes more sense. It's self-evident to go to meditation, even if you're looking for an answer, even if you're a begging Buddha, even if you're going to pray and beg and plead for guidance in your life. What should I do? I'm at this crossroads. I don't know what to do. Please tell me. Please tell me. Please tell me. It makes more sense to be an empty cup, no attachments, and no expectations. Not filling with ego and fear and anxiety and everything. Oh, I need to know. I need to know. I need to know. No, 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 no. You, you, you just go out with your begging bowl, your empty cup, relaxed and at peace like a Buddha and put forth your request. It will be heard. Right? You don't have to do it emphatically. You don't have to use a megaphone. You don't need a billboard. You don't need a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's just simply right? your being, your divine mother knows what you're asking for and knows what you need. And she will provide. But yeah. if you have expectations, if you have demands, if you have desires, they are what are filling up your cup and they will prevent her from putting the answer in your cup. And that's why we cannot go into meditation with any desires, expectations, attachments, identification. But we can go into meditation with a purpose, with a goal. A goal that we are not attached to. A purpose that we are not identified with. That we have no desires for. Again, it sounds like a paradox. It sounds like a contradiction. But when you look at the practical example of the empty of the empty cup versus the full cup and being a begging Buddha, and if you want people to be able to put something into your cup, it must be empty. That's the practical, self-evident, experiential knowledge you cannot receive if you're filled so if you go into meditation filled with anxiety and desire and attachment what you will receive nothing yeah in worst case you will be attacked <laughs> well that's a i mean that's that's another we have never been able to uh, enter into the astral plane from meditation. We, we have two, we suffer from, uh, look, we suffer from too much of a obstruction inside of us. There are certain things that we just, we, we can't do. We, I can't do, right? But that's related to the burden that I carry. Yeah, but it's also related to um, 
I've been denied certain things simply because if I live with this handicap, then the window of opportunity that I require and that I have needs to be focused and dedicated towards uh, a different set of faculties. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Right? So it does, for example, for me to be able to project into the astral plane from meditation, it doesn't help any of you. No. Right? Me being able to speak as Atlas, the words of the logos, this is useful for you guys. And it's useful for me, my purpose, my task. I don't need to be able to project into the astral plane out of meditation. I don't need to be able to do that. In fact, I don't need to be able to, I don't need to project into the astral plane at all anymore. I don't. So that's why I don't. And this is another thing to remember that information is on a need-to-know basis. And if we surrender to our meditation and allow, and again, allow, surrender, humility is at least as important as gratitude. Yeah. The two things we feel are very much go hand in hand. They're, they're like hand in glove. Because humility, gratitude already, already helps put you into that place. And humility, the two things are, 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 are related. They, they, they're like the two yeah. hands of prayer. You put them together, right? Gratitude and humility. Yeah. And, and you can't go wrong entering meditation with gratitude, humility, uh, reverence, right? Feel the love, feel the reverence and the humility and the gratitude and, and, and really well and truly bring that. Have you, having your open heart be, be your prayer. Um, going deeper da, 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 when to da, stop is there anything we missed is there anything else is that Zil, we would add to no that's um, basically summed it yeah no that uh, basically summed it up pretty well the one takeaway that really is two things the 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 recognition that your meditation and your life are intimately connected like exercise and the gym going to the gym and then your physical activity in your life those two things are intimately connected we go to the gym to work out to to so that we can become more physically fit and so we can be more physically active in our life if we are sitting around all day and eating potato chips and <laughs> and smoking and drinking coffee and then then when we go to the gym we expect to be we we expect to perform like arnold schwarzenegger in the gym <laughs> it's just not gonna it's not gonna work 
No. Right? It's the same thing with meditation. Right? We can't be feeding ourselves and feeding our mind and feeding our heart and behaving certain ways unethically, all in our egos all the time, and then go into meditation and expect to have shamadi. It's it's just not gonna happen. It just doesn't work. No. Right? The two things are the two things are two sides of the same coin. Um does anybody have any questions? Uh, Dylan said, "Street Buddha." <laughs> we were mentioning the uh, the begging uh, Buddha in his empty cup. Does anybody have any questions? Does anybody have anything to add? Anything to share? Not from my part, actually. It's uh, basically four thirty a.m. here, so. I think it's time oh, to go. It's to... time for you to meditate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, choosing to uh, to be with us. We're of course going to do a review of this on Monday. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, you're more than welcome to come if you're willing to stay up this late. Um, but um, same for me. So, so Paula, you're in Europe too. <laughs> Paula, maybe Rojas. Okay, you're you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Um, maybe some of you have noticed uh, some changes have been happening in our uh, on our Facebook on our the memes and stuff that we're doing. We're as as we mentioned, we're trying to. Uh... Oh, she said. How oh, she says? No, I meant meditation time. Oh, okay, all right. And uh, Benjamin says, thank you for sharing a lot of information today, sir. What would you suggest is the way to prepare for meditation if your heart and mind is burdened? Aha. Okay. The same ways that we mentioned, right? Um, the... When your heart and mind is burdened, okay, this maybe is a good time to make this point. Look, sometimes you will not be able to meditate. Accept it. Sometimes, and we speak from experience, okay? Sometimes, like, for example, if we are suffering from depression, which we do, comes part and parcel with epilepsy, if we are suffering from depression, we can do all we want. We can do whatever exercises we want. We can do whatever preparation we want, whatever. We're not going to meditate. Certainly, we're not going to meditate in any reasonable amount for any reasonable amount of time. Because if we're suffering from depression, that energy is getting sucked out of us by the demon deep in the subconscious mind and and all of our attention all of our focus is going towards the fact that the, the all we can do is observe the pain observe the the suffering observe the the uh the depression now in that case 
the best that we can do in that case is do exactly that. Not identify with the depression, not identify with the pain, not identify with the suffering, not identify with the causes of your burden, not identify with the burden, but observe it. When we say observe, it's one and the same, Paula. We're not talking about avoidance here. You're going to feel it. We're not talking about avoiding feeling it. You have to feel it, and that's what you observe. But what is it that you feel? If you uh, weren't, if you hadn't tuned in on Wednesday and you didn't hear that our story uh, about our broken collarbone, and the transformation of impressions as, as related to pain, pain doesn't exist. Pain only exists in the mind. What we were feeling with our broken collarbone was not pain. What we were feeling was what a broken collarbone actually feels like, which is not pain. Pain doesn't exist. Pain is in the mind. So if you are suffering, if you are burdened, if you are struggling, if you are depressed, if you're feeling anxious, whatever state that you are in, your meditation will be to go deeper into that state. Go deeper into that suffering without identifying with it. To really, like we did on the, uh, on the uh, emergency uh, ward, on the gurney, where we said we're going to go deeper into this broken collarbone. We're going to go deeper into the feelings and the sensations past what the mind wanted to call pain. So in effect, but this is what we call transformation of impressions. And as you can see from that example, you can see how this relates to meditation, because meditation is all about getting the mind out of the way and getting the mind's uh, uh, subjective descriptions and subjective experience out of the way so that we can achieve objective experience. So if you're suffering, if you're carrying a burden, you're depressed, you're anxious, you're whatever you're feeling, your meditation is simply going to be to observe and to go deeper into that and go deeper and deeper and deeper. That's the best that you're going to be able to do, but the reward for doing that may be that you will achieve comprehension or shamadi related to that burden or related to the cause of the suffering, which is comprehension about the ego. So, when we were suffering from depression, we would lie there trying to meditate and we realized we can't meditate on you know, whatever. We can't quiet the mind. We can't do all these things. But what we can do is we can go deeper into the depression. If the depression is in your face, you can't get out, then that is your, the object of your meditation. Take advantage of it. Use it. It's a gift. It's a gift from your Divine Mother. 
Don't try to avoid it. Don't try to pretend it's not there. Go deeper into it. So Benjamin says, yes, sir, that's true. There are times we couldn't meditate because it's hard. That's why in today's society we see a lot of sadness because we don't have a chance to meditate. Because our culture, this information age, is constantly bombarding our senses. Isn't it the archons trying to distract us all the time? Yeah, but that's their job. That's their job to do that. Remember, Archon and Aeon and White Lodge and Black Lodge, we're here teaching the direct path, the path of the razor's edge, the path of the Bodhisattva, which is the path beyond White Lodge and Black Lodge. It's the path beyond Aeon and Archon. It's the path to the Absolute. So, yes, of course, what you're saying is true. But everybody has time to meditate. It's not true that you don't have time to meditate. It's not true. Take the phone. Take your phone. When you get home from work, turn it off. Turn off the TV. Turn off the computer. And turn off your phone. you will suddenly discover you have all kinds of time to meditate. And remember, we began by saying that, for us at least, our favorite time to meditate is between 3 and 6 in the morning. There's no phone, there's no TV, nobody else is up. It's nice and quiet. Those nights, those nights, we sleep 3 or 4 hours. That's all. The rest of the time we're meditating, but in meditation, meditation is, uh, as Dr. Wayne Dyer once said this, meditation is just as good as sleep. It's better than sleep. Yeah, I don't sleep that much for that reason, uh, basically. I mean, I don't sleep for like eight to nine hours, which is recommended. It's four hours tops. It depends on a lot of, it depends on a lot. I mean, uh, but for us, it, it, we, we go on these cycles, right? So yeah. for us, a lot, we get affected a lot by uh, the lunar cycle. Um, so sometimes we can get by with four hours of sleep plus meditation. Um, sometimes if, whatever we've been doing physically or whatever, sometimes we need our eight hours. But as we're getting older, um, but when we were meditating regularly every day, um, two, two, two and a half, three hours, uh, then those, those days we'd only sleep three or four hours. But here's one thing Um, here's one thing to remember that don't try to overdo meditation because you can burn yourself out. Yeah. Um, even though we said about, you know, don't quit your meditation before you're ready. That's one thing. But at the same time, don't push yourself past you know, don't push yourself too hard because you'll burn yourself out. 
It's like going to the gym. You can't, you can't lift heavy weights every single day. You just can't do it. You need, you need, your body needs to recover. Your consciousness, your mind, all the faculties, everything that's being, that's involved in the practice of meditation, they, they, they need the ability to, to recover. Like any muscle, you can contract it only for so long and then it needs to relax again. Everything goes in waves, like the tides, like the lo lunar cycle. Everything, everything happens in, in a rhythm. You have to find your own rhythm. Don't try to keep pushing always too much, too much, too soon, because uh, it'll be detrimental to you. Feelings come from emotions. Emotions come from your thoughts. And if you are in a state of thought, you are not in a state of observation. We could spend some time unpacking and deconstructing that, but we're just going to move on. Thank you, sir. Your advice enlightens. I'll keep it in mind. And Paula said, who was it that sleep is meditation? Who was it that said sleep is meditation? Um, it's Sleep is not meditation. Dr. Wayne Dyer said that meditation is as good or better than sleep. It's a very different statement than saying sleep is meditation. Sleep is not meditation. Sleeping is not meditation. But if you meditate for two hours, it's as good as getting six hours sleep. That's what Dr. Wayne Dyer was saying. It's like, it's like you spend an hour in meditation and it's like getting 10 hours of sleep. That's what he said. Um, your experience of that will determine how true that is for you. For us, it's very true. We, we but I'm not sure. I'm not so sure about the uh, the ten to one ratio, but because uh, our meditations are very intense, it requires a lot of concentration, it requires effort, it requires energy, even though it's a state of relaxation and concentration. Benjamin said somehow the word meditation connotes to be in the middle so that will not be swept by the emotions or mental tides. Yeah, it's, in that sense, it's related to the middle path, right? It's the, the in-between place, between emotions, between thoughts, between sensation. And Paula says, it was the Dalai Lama who said, who said that sleep is meditation? He may have. It isn't. <laughs> so I don't know where that reference is coming from, but sleep is not meditation. Yeah, so whether the, the Dalai Lama said it or someone claimed that he said it, I don't know. It's not meditation. It just isn't. That's a fact. That's an objective fact. If sleep were meditation, this entire humanity would be enlightened. <laughs> the vast majority of this, uh, this humanity can't meditate. They don't know how. 
And when they try to learn, they try to teach it, they just, they, they go through a tremendous amount of suffering because it's so hard for them. How could sleep be meditation? It's, it's, it's a misquote or it's a misrepresented quote or it's a, it's a, it's, it's not, he, either he didn't say that or he said something else. Uh, but in any case, even if he did say it, it's not true. And, uh, and it's self-evident that it's not true. All right, so we covered, yeah, so like meditating when you're sick, meditating when you're carrying a heavy burden, meditating if you're depressed or suffering from anxiety. Um, hmm. Paula says, he said it, but I don't agree with it. Yeah, well, it's not well. It's good that you don't agree with it because it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he may have meant something different, or you know, because. Uh, but then again, if you believe the conspiracy theorists, the Dalai Lama is 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 in on the whole conspiracy racket. So, who knows? Who knows? But we're telling you that your experience of sleep and your experience of meditation are very different. The only exception to that is that um, Paula says, uh, I am one, and yes, he is. Okay, well, there you go. Well, then don't be surprised then that if he's saying things that aren't true. <laughs> because most people who are in on the conspiracy racket, they, they, they're constantly speaking lies, right? Um, so if you have a lucid dream, right, if you're sleeping and you project in the astral plane, that's something, by the way, that you can try to do. If you, uh, if you travel in the astral plane, sit down or lie down and start meditating. That is a is an experience that is worth trying. We can't promise you what the outcome is going to be, but it is worthwhile. It is worthwhile giving that a try. If you get to the point and we'll, we'll cover the astral projection and a future live stream. And that's one that will certainly invite uh, Azazel back and anybody else who wants to participate if they have other techniques uh, of ways that they uh, they find useful and valuable for projecting into the astral plane, because we have a certain uh, uh, set of tools that uh, we have used, but in all fairness, we learned those tools, those methods. We don't have any particular insight into astral travel because we're not that well-versed in it. It's not something that we do uh, a lot or all the time. Again, it's because it's not related to the work that we're here doing. Benjamin says, my takeaway from today's lesson is to meditate without expectations and to be like a begging Buddha. Thank you. You're welcome. 
Does anybody else have any thoughts or or questions or uh Azazel, by all means, you do not need to stick around if you need to go yeah, sleep. Yeah, so yeah, so I'll call it a night. So you yeah. All so right. thank you for the live stream and we'll see you next time. Okay, thank you and have a good sleep, my friend. Same to you. Okay, take care. Paula says, thank you and good night all. Okay. If nobody else has any uh, comments or questions, we may as well. We, we, uh, yeah, Dylan says, we all have a lot to meditate on. Actually, uh, and Diana says, thank you. You know, this, uh, this is actually not a bad uh, uh, idea. It's not a bad comment because... It's true. It's true that we can request any information in meditation, including, but not limited to, but certainly including uh, techniques on how to meditate. You can make that part of your prayer. Please show me uh, how to meditate. Please show me a better way. Please show me, uh, you know, teach me. Show me. Or there's always, as we suggested and as we recommend, part, make part of your prayer and meditation, I surrender. Take me. One of the aspects of retrospection meditation is the process of uh, judging the ego when we have comprehended the ego and we are going to cover this we will cover this in another stream but we were once taken to the temple of the lords of karma and we were put on trial there and our ego was put on trial there by lord anubis and the lords of karma and our divine mother present and this whole elaborate event uh which we will share with you in a future live stream when we cover this particular that particular topic um it was because we completely surrendered to it and we were taken in that meditation and we said that you know we don't normally we don't typically travel in the astral plane we don't project into the astral plane out of meditation in this particular case we we did but not because we projected into the astral plane it was we were taken on our meditation so it wasn't exactly it wasn't exactly astral projection but it was far more than mere imagination or mere visualization or whatever it was a it was it was it was a 
very, very unique experience that we had. And it was a lengthy experience. We wouldn't, we wouldn't consider it a shamadi. We wouldn't call it a shamadi. And that's what we mean about allowing and surrendering to the meditation. And being humble and being grateful and being reverent and realizing, look, look, I'm just a, I'm just a vessel. I'm just a vehicle. Even like not just the physical self, the physical personality, even Atlas. Atlas is just a, a servant, a messenger of the logos. Atlas is to the logos what a muscle cell is to you. Meditate on that. You can meditate on that, by the way. In meditation, we... Oh, you know, we didn't even talk about going deeper into the body and the bodies and that meditation. Wow, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, you see, there's something that we forgot to talk about. Going deeper into your body is one technique of meditation and then leaving that body behind and going to the next body. Your physical body, your vital body, your astral body, your mental body, your causal body, your buddhic body, and finally your atmic body. Each time you go deeper and deeper and deeper into one of the bodies and then you say, I am not this body. And then you transcend it and you go deeper still to, into, the, into the next body. And you feel yourself and you fill out each body, each subsequent body with your whole consciousness. You be completely, totally present. And once you're satisfied that you're completely present and filled that body, you say, yeah, but I'm not this body. And then you leave it behind. You cast it off. You cast it aside. And you dive deeper into your next body. And it goes physical, vital, astral, mental, causal, buddhic, and atmic. We have a guided meditation on our YouTube channel that walks you through that process. And one time when we were practicing that particular meditation, we got stuck in our physical body and it was couldn't it wouldn't relax we were suffering from our house guest the entity that we live with the demon and it was really agitated and really doing its thing and so we were like you know what we're going to get to the bottom of this and we in that meditation we dove deep into our central nervous system our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system we wanted to understand what the hell was going on and how the entity was messing with us. And we kept focusing and concentrating on our nervous system until we became one with our nervous system. And we were fully present and conscious in our central nervous system. And just like those, those diagrams you see in textbooks with all the 
with all the nerves and the nerve endings going through the body, like that's exactly what we felt. We felt that the whole neural network in our body, and we were one with it. We were it. It was us. In, in our consciousness had poured itself into that nervous system. So <clears throat> in meditation, you can, with patience and determination, but patience, without expectations, without attachments, without desires, you can use your consciousness to investigate any phenomenon, but particularly phenomenon inside of you. So here's an example. Have you ever found a lump in your body? Some kind of a, a, a cyst or, a, or, or, or something? And you wanted to know its nature? You can investigate it in meditation. You can know, you can know, for example, if a lump that you've discovered in your body is cancerous or not. <clears throat> you can dive deep into it. You can do, you can invest, you can make any investigations with your consciousness. Now, we are not a medical doctor. We are not giving out medical advice. Do we encourage you to go see a doctor and get, get, it, uh, get it verified, get it double-checked? By all means, we encourage you to go and seek professional medical assistance and the advice of a doctor in any and all medical events. But we know that sometimes it may take time for you to be able to get an appointment or whatever. And in the meantime, if, you're, if you don't want to be worried, you can do your own investigations. Do you want to wholly rely on your own investigations? No, I, we don't recommend that. We recommend you go and see a doctor and, and get checked out and, and, be, and get verified and validate whether or not your investigation was accurate. But if you don't want to worry, or if you want a second opinion, then meditation is there uh, at your disposal to receive information, especially information about yourself. And you can do these investigations with your consciousness in meditation. And you can begin small. Start by trying to put yourself into one of your fingers or into your hand or into your leg or into your foot. These are just experiment, experiments and practices that you can do in meditation to strengthen your ability to, to work with your consciousness. There's a great universe awaiting us in meditation, through meditation. And meditation can, can become a tremendously meaningful and potent tool of knowledge for us on the path. Thank you all for joining us tonight. We've reached a three-hour mark, and I think it's as good a time as any to call it a night. If you have any more questions, 
uh, feel free to ask them or post them in the comments or send us a message or post to Instagram or however you would like. Uh, thank you for joining us again. Have a wonderful weekend. Inverential peace. Good night, everyone.